This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Agapi Stasinopoulos. Agapi is a worldwide motivational speaker, conducting seminars to empower individuals in recognizing their individual gifts. At the age of 18, Agapi left her home in Athens, Greece, and entered the prestigious Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London. Agapi later moved to the United States to pursue a career in film and television, as well as to complete her master's in psychology from the University of Santa Monica. Agapi is the younger sister of Ariana Huffington and is a frequent blogger for the Huffington Post, as well as a speaker at various international events and global conferences on health and well-being. In her latest book, and book on tape from Sounds True, Unbinding the Heart, Agapi provides readers and listeners pointers on how to live with generosity and wisdom using her culturally rich Greek background and her life experiences as a guiding factor. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Agapi and I spoke about disappointment as a teacher and how the focus on contributing to the lives of others can be a way to free our heart. We also talked about how important it is to redefine success and Agapi's advice to young women who might be just starting out on their career. We also talked about lessons Agapi learned from her Greek mother including several quite memorable slogans. And finally, what Agapi feels is her work still after her mother's death in terms of realizing the fullness of her mother's legacy. Here's my conversation on Unbinding the Heart with Agapi Stasinopoulos. Agapi, your latest book is called Unbinding the Heart. And that's such an interesting word, unbinding. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by that, unbinding the heart. Well, Tammy, first of all, it's so wonderful to be together in, and conversing and touching our hearts. I have to say that um, Sounds True has been very dear to my heart for many, many years. And uh, it certainly unbinds a lot of hearts and souls and spirits. So to have the audio of my book, Unbinding the Heart, as part of your library, is a dream come true. And I just wanted to start by saying that and and really thanking you and uh, your amazing devotion and commitment to the human spirit. 
for what you do there. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. I love the idea of, sounds true, unbinding hearts. So if we can do that to any measure, that's beautiful. So tell me about this word. It's so interesting. I love that word because um, when I look at uh, people around us and when I look at little kids and when I think of ourselves and myself as a little child or you go back and think of yourself as a little girl or a little boy, there's a certain boundless, there's a certain exuberance, and, and there's a sense of not being bound. Uh, and then as we grow older and as the conditionings of the world, our society, our parents, what one should be, what one should do, what one should say, uh, the judgment, the conditionings, what starts to happen is our hearts and our, and our expressions start to close down and we censor ourselves. And that, that's what I call the binding. It's what we put between ourselves and our hearts. Uh, as we are born, our hearts are pure, are unconditional, and they love. They know love and they express love. Um, I mean, you cannot help but look at a baby's eyes and feel the love. But as we grow on, uh, something happens to the human condition that is the binding of that. And I truly believe that the ultimate work that we have to do as a human being, a, a spirit and a soul on this planet Earth, is to unravel and to unbind what we put between ourselves and ourselves and our heart. So that's what I mean by unbinding. Yeah. No, I think that what you're describing as this conditioning process and censoring ourselves, that makes a lot of sense to me. But I also wonder, what about that person who says, you know, if I really unbound what was protecting my heart, I would feel so much. I would be so sensitive. And the world is such a painful place to be. I don't know if I actually want to feel that much. What would you say to that person? <laughs> so it's more like, I'd much rather be numb, right? <laughs> but then, um, then here's the thing. Um, first of all, I want to make a distinction, Tommy, between being in the presence of your heart and wearing the heart on your sleeve. Because a lot of people say to me, well, Agapi, if I open my heart and I start to uh, share my true thoughts and, and to really love everyone or to uh, love people unconditionally, I'm going to get hurt. And I do get hurt, people say to me. I, and I've been hurt by intimate relationships and all that. And there's a big difference, Tammy, because the emotional heart that we all experience, the one that is very tied up to the personality and the ego and the, and the humanness of us, does suffer and does experience the hurt and the, um, the, the high sensitivity, let's say, of, of what happens in our emotions. Uh, but... Being in the presence of your heart is a whole other level of, of evolution. And, and that takes um, consciousness, it takes work, it takes letting go, and it takes a sense of vulnerability that is ultimate 
protection. Because when you are, and I know you've experienced that maybe from your beautiful dog that you were just sharing with me that passed, and there was a presence that animals often have, uh, well, dogs especially, uh, I'm, I'm more of a dog lover, where you feel a presence of love and heart. And um, it's a strengthening that it takes for us to get to that place. It's a, it's a really letting go of the illusion of all the other elements, of, of the emotions and, the, and, and really knowing that our hearts are mighty. The spiritual heart that we are all part of is extraordinary, and it it takes a certain letting go of the aspect of ourselves that is more of um, the emotional part of ourselves. And I think that's that's part of the soul's evolution. That's I think part of what we're here to do uh, is to grow ourselves up to know that. Um, does that make sense, what I'm saying to you? Well, I think I could use a little bit more explanation what you mean by letting go of the emotional part of ourselves. What are you meaning by that? Well, the emotional part would be we want things and we want people to love us the way we want to be loved, let's say. You know, we get reactive. We get uh, emotional. We get um, judgmental. We feel, I mean, that's all part of the personality and the humanness. But there is a part that, which is really, the heart loves. The heart just knows love. And, and it just doesn't have that, like, be the way I want you to be. The, the, true, the true lover of who we are in, 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 in sense of our inner self is so beyond all that. And there's a certain uh, freedom and there's a certain sense of liberation when we come to that place because it's not it's not on the whim of how people are going to be with us or how people are not because a lot of our emotions come the way we think people should should be with us the way people should love us the way um, people should treat us and and so often especially in intimate relationships nobody's really going to be doing things according to to the way we want, you know, we want them to treat us. Does that make sense? It does. And you know, it, yeah. And, and there is a certain sense when you look at the love, the eyes of love and compassion to yourself, first of all. Uh, I mean, where I get tested is where uh, do I withhold love for myself? Where do I shut off my heart for myself? When I don't... Uh, when I don't meet up to my expectations, you know, when I, um, I don't feel the way I want to feel, when I'm not doing things the way I want to be doing them, when I, I demand against my own nature to be other than who I am, then I shut off my heart. When I come into a, a, a sanctity and a reverence of the being of who I am, and then it, it really doesn't matter what, XYZ is doing, how things are going, because I'm in, the, I'm in the presence of a sweet love of my heart being unbound towards me, which is the nature and the essence of who we are. One of the things that's really interesting to me, Agapi, is how people deal with, we could say, bouts of self-judgment. 
whatever might cause the self-judgment, whatever it might be, something didn't go the way we wanted it to, I'm disappointed in this or that, disappointed in myself, all of it, yeah. What have you learned in terms of your own relationship with yourself about dealing with periods or experiences of self-judgment? Well, you, you know, that's such an such a important subject to me, Tammy, because my, basically one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I, I had this big dream. You know, I, I went to RADA and I studied the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts and I studied acting. And I was recognized as a very talented and brilliant actress. And um, being at the tender age of 18, and I went to Hollywood to do a movie, and um, the movie fell through because of finances. And um, after that, I struggled to get my bearings and to find my footing in the world. And I struggled to, to get jobs because I didn't have a green card and I had a Greek accent. And everybody would say, oh, my God, you're so talented, you, you, you're so classically trained, but they basically couldn't fit me in. I could not get the parts. And that went on for years. And it created the, the, the binding. It created a certain uh, tremendous judgment of myself, insecurity, feelings of not, of, of, not, uh, of doubt, tremendous self-doubt. I didn't know what I was meant to do in the world. And um, I started to search and... Um, and I started to to find um, a spiritual approach to life. I started to do yoga. I started to um, meditate. I found my spiritual teacher. And I was feeling somewhat relieved, but still I had no sense of expression because I wasn't getting work. So at some point, about six years later, um, I was in New York, and I had auditioned for a Greek part in a six-hour adaptation of Greek plays. And um, I didn't get the part. I didn't get any part. I didn't get an extra. I didn't get a lead role. I didn't get a supporting role. And I was absolutely devastated. I felt like the the world was crumbling. And uh, I went in a, in a New York City bus, and... Uh, I saw how everybody was so depressed in the bath. You know, they were like, people were unhappy. They were, there was a sense of lack of joy, and as you know, the bath, how the baths are. And I thought to myself, what if I could just do something to cheer everybody up? And I started to talk to one woman next to me who happened to be an actress who had given it up to become a nurse. And uh, as I was talking to her, I told her that I had auditioned for the part of Joan of Arc, and she loved the role, and she said to me that's one of her favorite parts, and I started performing for her and did the whole monologue for her and the bus. And what happened after that changed my life because the whole bus woke up and looked at me and, and applauded me, and this woman turned to me and said, my dear girl, why are you waiting for anybody to hire you? Why don't you go do your own thing? And I, at that moment, I experienced a sense that I 
had the gift, then I had to share it and not wait for other people to give me permission to share my gift and to hire me. I then proceeded to put a one-woman show together that became very successful on the goddesses. I wrote books. I performed this show everywhere. I um, So that's the story that I wanted to tell in, in my book because I experienced going from restriction to the openness of my own of my own my own talent and sharing it. And what I learned is that I had to really be the one that's what I call by the unbinding. I had to be the one who stepped into the joy of my gift and and really gave up this sort of someone hire me. Now it wasn't it wasn't a conscious choice as much, but it was more of a you know, out of my own frustration and, and feeling suffocating, saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something right here and now. Um, and and life is so generous when we give up, that's what I mean by the letting go, our own agendas. Things should be going this way. Uh, it can be anything from the traffic going bad, from missing a plane, from a project falling from a financial disaster, from a, uh, the kids, um, you know, misbehaving and, and throwing havoc, from a, a, a relationship going bad and somebody leaving us. It could be anything. When we step into a, a bigger, be, being bigger than our own agenda of how things should be going, life is so generous. It gives us right back and rewards us with the gift of our own life. It seems from your story that there's almost a connection, we could say, between disappointment and finding your true calling, at least in your yes. case. Yes, absolutely. And tell me, if you ask, and, and we know, as you know, I speak a lot to, at, at events and conferences, and you ask everybody, how many people here have experienced disappointment and loss in their lives? Everybody raises their hand. Now, that's part of the human condition. You know, it's like daily we can get disappointed about things because, you know, the, the, the world doesn't go according to Agape's gospel or to Tammy's gospel. The world goes according to the world. <laughs> People do what they do. The world is doing what they're doing. And where do we find um, this 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 okayness with things, you know? And when we... We, we realize that that we can control so much, but then after a while, we can't control the fundamental things of life. We can't control so many things, and definitely we can't control other people's behavior. Um, and that kind of leads me to the question of, you know, success and failure, because so many times people say, you know, they... I didn't succeed in this, you know, I didn't succeed or my project didn't succeed or my my work is not as successful. And uh, there is so much judgment and pressure um, when people, whatever people call failure, you know. And I think in in the book, you know, I described so much about how my mother taught me and my sister, Ariana, that that failure was so much part of life. You know, you have relationships that don't go the way you want it to go. You have 
If you don't fail, you're not really living. And, and I think we have such a stigma that, uh, you know, when, when think, people write books and they say, oh, my book didn't succeed. What does that mean? You wrote a book, you know, or you wrote a book that you shared with people, you shared your knowledge. But we have this notion, especially in America, success is X amount of dollars, X amount of sales, X amount of followings in the Facebook, X amount, you know, X amounts of social media. Um, and we're always pressuring ourselves for the next level of success. What do you think about this, Tammy? Because it's a big issue in this country. I agree with you, Agapi, and I think it's really important that people define success for themselves on their own terms so that we're not measuring ourselves against terms that aren't even our own. So I think you're pointing to a really important thing, yeah. I'd be curious, what are your metrics, your personal metrics for success? What does success mean to you? Oh, well, you know, for me, it's like, um, let me see, how how can I just give it this as, um, the days that I feel this profound gratitude for the gifts of my life, that is the miracle of my life, because I call it like, how did I ever get to be this person? How did I, my body, you know, how did my body move and grow? And, and the miracle of, when I'm, I'm in touch with the miracle of life, and, um, and I share um, deep connections, you know, when I share loving with people, uh, just people that I know, people I don't know, uh, whether it is at events or whether it is just in my daily life, uh, when I and I feel I'm at peace with agape, that I've reached a place where I'm at peace inside myself, and that I know I know that this is gonna uh, I'm gonna redefine that if you want me to, but I know that I'm loved by the essence of life that created me. Uh, whether it's that God loves me, that the Spirit loves me, and I'm in touch with that Spirit, and I can share it with others. When I go to bed and I and I smile uh, at the joy of just another day, then I'm successful. Then I feel a true sense of peace because I'm at peace with myself. Now, on the material level, uh, when I know that also... Um, I, I'm able to, you know, function without having to worry financially. Um, when I'm healthy, that I know that I can get up and go to the gym and work out. Um, it's, a, it's an added, you know, it's how wonderful that is. Uh, when I get requests to go and speak to people because um, they've heard me speak and they love what I have to say, that's also wonderful. When you said to me, let's do your book on audio uh, after my book had been out and I wanted you to put my voice in it. That was a great success. Uh, when I'm going to Mexico to speak to 10,000 women in May, that's also success. So it's like you keep adding into it. But the fundamental thing is, am I sharing my gift? Am I sharing my heart? Am I sharing who I am? Am I helping other people live? Uh, am I able to make one so happier because they've, I've encountered them and I've 
contributed in their growth. That's huge. When somebody writes to me and they said, you know, I read your book and I felt you told my story. I felt, I felt your heart through the book and it opened up my heart. That was like an Oscar. That's like as big as a, as an Oscar to me. You know what I mean? It's like that to me. It's like, wow, I was able to express my truth and it happened to awaken, to awaken someone else in their truth. And these are things that I think we should be teaching um, our schools and our, and our kids to say, these are things that are really an amazing measure to your life. Because ultimately, you know, I saw my mother um, die. She had $250 in her bank account. And she had not written any bestsellers. She didn't have a, she was not a CEO of a company. She had raised two daughters with her whole heart, and she had touched countless of human beings, from the grocery shop to the taxi driver to the stranger in the street to the prime minister of England to the carpenter and to the plumber. She had touched hundreds of people. And anybody now that I can even run into after all these years and say, your mother... My encounter with your mother was one of the most profound experiences in my life. But nobody's going to write a book about her except me, because <laughs> I wrote about my mother. But you know what I mean? She, 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 she raised us because she was so genuine and so authentic. And to me, she was one of the successful women I know. Now, one thing I want to clarify, Agapi, is you talked about really this type of turning point in your life that occurred when you were on the bus and you were experiencing your disappointment from not being yes. chosen in your exactly. acting career in That's the way that you exactly wanted. Right. And that and not being validated, exactly, from right. the world. So th here you are, you're disappointed, you're on the bus, and suddenly <laughs> a change happens. You're performing the monologue and the people on the bus are enjoying it. But how did this really become such a turning point in your life? Help me understand that. What was the turning for you? I think it's almost like um, when you are kind of, um, you know, down and, and, and completely wrapped up in, in your own unhappiness, and uh, somebody comes in and and you do something for them, and they light up. I mean, somebody comes in, it could be that you know, somebody calls you and they're having a, a fire in their house or, you know, or their baby's sick and you, and you get out of your misery and you say, my God, this woman's child is sick. I've got to help her get to the hospital. But you do something that is kind of beyond yourself. Now, I happen to be doing my monologue, which was my joy, but it was more about an offering to to kind of give to this misery of the bus that I felt. It was like, well, I'll get up and do this because that will change the energy. That will be like my contribution to this moment of, of, of these people who seem so unhappy. And, and it takes you out of you because when you're auditioning for parts, for example, you have an agenda. You want to be hired. When you're performing for a bus, so nobody can give you a job, what you're really saying is like, I'm just doing this for the joy of it. I'm just doing this to help some people lift a little bit or get a little happier. And, 
and you know you've done so many things in your life that are beyond you, and you know how how good it feels to just contribute to other people's lives in, in the moment, and it takes you out of yourself. You know, I think I think Tommy, so much of our um, peace and and to happiness is really service because when we give it unconditionally, when we give it, when we help other people become a little happier, don't you always find that you you feel so good about yourself and about life? I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> I mean, that's why you do what you do. Yeah, yeah. In a way, you know, you're contributing to putting out works of people that are so... Um, so profound and so beautiful and uplifting lift so many people. So that feels, I mean, I know that's your work, but the, the, the motivation behind it is to really lift people. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now back to Insights at the Edge. And I'm curious about something, Agape, because I know that you talk a lot and are interested in working a lot with young women, women who are coming into their own sense of voice and empowerment and their own sense of calling and how they can contribute to others. So I'm curious if you were talking now to a group of young women who were interested in really coming into how they might contribute best to the lives of other people. What kind of advice, sage advice, you might yes. give them? That's, that's, that's a beautiful question. I think, um, the be- first of all, I, I think as a young woman, um, so often you feel the pressure to, to contribute, to succeed, to... And I watch it with my nieces, you know, for 23 and 25. And you feel um, there is a lot of pressure on you, on on young women to become, um, you know, more successful maybe than than one would expect them to. You know, and they have this, what am I going to be? What am I going to contribute? And first of all, there is a certain... um, Trusting that, trusting the current, that life doesn't always work out maybe the way you want it to, but that life does work out. And that part of the key is asking for help, asking for people who um, know more than you, who you admire, that you respect, asking for help. And so many times young, young men and women can also start things on their own and they get burned out because they don't know boundaries or they don't know how to take care of themselves. And, um, or 
the other thing is that they start to question themselves or doubt themselves. And in that, you start to lose ground. So, so much of it is that as you start to experience life and, and your contribution, never to be afraid of the failures, never to think you should have worked it all out, never to think that you should know it all, uh, but to be very, very loving to yourself, very loving, very caring, and to keep the excitement and the adventure of your life as a young girl. And, you know, how many times people say, oh my God, if I only known that uh, when I was in my 20s, you know. Uh, but you don't know that when you're in your 20s. In your 20s, you're not supposed to have figured it out. You, my nieces, you know, went through a very difficult time with, with drug addiction. And because she was in such search of herself and such lostness, even in the midst of one of the Ivy League colleges of Yale, uh, she just found herself stuck. And, and it was through tremendous love of the family and her own commitment to herself that she started to find back her way. And we always say to her, the fact that you've been sober for three years is such a huge victory. And now she's helping other young girls who struggle with issues like that. So in a way, you know, I wrote a blog, which I loved and became very successful, called Five Ways to, Five Questions to Answering, to Finding the Calling of Your Life. And the calling of your life is a daily thing. It's not like, oh, I found this great calling and here's what I am to do. But every day, if you ask yourself, what am I learning? What am I teaching? What am I sharing? What am I overcoming? And what am I completing? And am I enjoying my life in my, in my early, you know, in my, in my youth? Am I, and am I being true to myself? These are just very uh, important questions in, in one's growth. And um, basically, I always say, you know, you can't really be kind, be, be loving to yourself. And I always try to, to feel you have to fit in, you know, because so many times you feel, oh, I don't belong to this group or um, I do things differently. If you're different and you feel different, be different. Different is good. You don't have to be or like what other people like. Be unique. My mother had this great expression, Tammy. She said, we're all born an original, but most of us die a copy. Hmm. Like, don't die a copy. Stay an original. And, and it's something that we must teach our young, our young men and women to be an original. Now, your mother sounds like quite the woman. <laughs> quite the woman. My mother was quite the woman. Quite the woman. Tammy, she would have loved you. You would have loved her. She would have sat and she would have fed you uh, Greek food and, um, and teas and, and cookies and Panacopita. And she had a way and a joy of life that was amazing. And she suffered a lot. You know, she had a lot of pain. She went through with my father was a um, unfaithful to her uh, and had affairs throughout their marriage and she left him and and she had a heartache about that you know that that really was very hard for her she had financial difficulties she had big dreams for her daughters that she wanted to 
uh, see us, you know, live abroad and uh, be educated. She had a love, and she was very unbound in her expression and her way of living. And that's why I wrote the book, because I wanted to also tell the stories. You know, she used to, uh, I have a chapter in the book called uh, Take Care of Your Capital. And that was my mother's big uh, thing. Take care of your capital. Eat eat well. Sleep well. Um, hang out with people that uplift you. Don't be with people who are depressed and, and toxic. She She really was amazing the way she really took such good care of us. Now, that's an interesting expression, take care of your capital. What you mean by capital in that sense is sort of like take care of yourself, your very your own infrastructure, your body, your state of being. Exactly, your, your state of being, yes. Uh-huh. You said this very interesting thing that your mother was quite unbound. That's the way you described her. What did you mean by that? Yes. I, I can tell you specifically how she was. She was... She was um, she was. She had no shame about asking for help. So she was very unbound in terms of, like, if she needed help for her daughters about something, if she needed money, she would go ask her brothers. She was very unashamed. She's like, if she was she didn't have this restriction, I shouldn't be doing that. She was also unbound in terms of her givingness. You know, she would just give unconditionally to people. You know, she if if we had people that she didn't know, she wouldn't say, "Well, I don't know them. I'm not going to be." Or she would always offer food at her house and and hospitality and whatever she had of herself, she would just give of her knowledge, of her wisdom, of her advice. So she wasn't bound in terms of saying, "Well, um, you know, this person." Uh, Let's say when we lived in London, you know, we would meet with a lot of, uh, you know, the the different classes. In England, classes are much more prominent than in America. You know, there would be like the prime minister, let's say, or uh, people of the members of parliament that, because Ariana used to, at the time, date a member of parliament. Or there would be people who were uh, successful in, in the arts or... Uh, Lady so and lots so and so. My mother couldn't care less about titles, money, uh, prestige. She was the same with people, and that was kind of a very disarming. You know, like one time I have this story in the book between my the prime minister, my mother. We had a dinner, and the prime minister came in our house in London, and my mother would come in, and uh, the plumber was there because he was fixing something in the kitchen. And my mother said to the plumber, said, oh, ma'am, I hear the prime minister is here. And my mother said, what do you think of the prime minister? She said, well, I, I think he doesn't take care of the workers. And the workers' union were having a problem with him, blah, blah, blah. And my mother said, well, let me bring him in. You can tell him yourself. And she brought in the prime minister to the kitchen to meet the plumber. And that was very much her style, you know. She just made things happen, connections happen, and she wasn't, uh, she had had Greek chutzpah, you know, she wasn't afraid. Uh, She wasn't afraid to spend more money than she had. She always trusted that life would 
would reward her. <laughs> I think it was like Rumi said, live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. Now, you had a really interesting chapter in the book about your mother, a conversation that you had with her. You called the chapter, Are We Wealthy? And uh, I wonder if you oh, could yes. if you could tell our listeners about that section of the book. I really, oh, I love that. Yeah. Yes, it was actually, it's called, actually it's called, Mommy, Are We Rich? Um, you, you know, it, what it was, um, and I think this is one of my favorite things. I forgot that, actually. Thanks for reminding me. Um, um, my father used to have this very rich friend, and he would pick him up in a, Blue Jaguar every Sunday because my father loved to uh, go to the races. So uh, every Sunday I would see this, you know, Blue Jaguar come pick up my dad. And these people, uh, these friends of my dad, had a very opulent, opulent home, you know, with the servants and, you know, silverware and gardens. And we had a very modest home in Athens where we lived. And um, and I was confused because I didn't know if we were rich or not because we seem to have everything. So one day I said to my mother and I said, Mommy, are we rich? And my mother sat me down and she said, now listen to me. We are, no, what did she, how did she say? Now listen to me. She said, we are very, very wealthy. And that's how my mother used to talk. We're very, very wealthy because we have love and we have a beautiful home and we, are, and we have education. And, and you and Ariana go to beautiful, good schools and you're learning other languages and you go to ballet classes. And we go to the theater and, and we know artists who are, have great talent and they share their talent. And... We, we love to share what we have and we have people who come at our home and, and that's wealth and having talent and being an artist and um, having friends that you share with. And, and she went on and on, Tammy, and she said, that's wealth and money you can make anytime, but that's being rich. <laughs> and she made this huge distinction between being wealthy and being rich. And she said to me, People who are rich are not necessarily wealthy. And people who are rich sometimes are not happy. It doesn't mean because you have money, you are happy. Being kind, being compassionate. You know, and I was nine. You know, <laughs> I was going, okay, mom, you know, can I, can I have a few drachmas? You know, <laughs> she was like, you know, when you're nine, you can't digest all that. Principles. She was writing it down for me, uh, and I never forgot it. And then years later, you know, especially when you come to this country, uh, you know, when you are, um, you know, so much of the god of this country is money. You know, the dollar. How much dollar? How much money do you have? And it's such a big thing. You know and the success uh, being measured on money. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. It's an amazing... Because, you know, Tommy, you know, if I take you to Greece, to any Greek village, they will steal your heart. I mean, people in 
in the Greek land are so generous and give you the shirt they wear. There's a generosity and a spirit and a kindness and a hospitality that makes you feel extremely wealthy. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you and I know we meet people who have a lot of money who are not necessarily uh, generous or giving. And, and, and there are many rich people. I'm not saying that one is good or the other, but I know a lot of people who have way less money uh, than other people, and they're extremely um, generous with what they have and feel wealthy, you know, and feeling, um, I mean, you know, having love in your life is about the most, the greatest gift you can have, having people who care for you and truly love you. And the same thing, you know, having love and having people that you love cannot be measured, right? Once again, I'm with you, Agape. I notice that whenever you share with me sayings from your mom, sayings that you learned from your mother, yes. I write them down and I love them. So even in this conversation, take care of your capital. That's a good one. That's a keeper. You were born an original. Don't die a copy. That is a keeper. That's yes. fabulous. And I'm wondering if there are any yes. more sayings like that oh, from your mom. Yes, yes. And tell me what they are. I want to know. Yes, yes. We should make t-shirts, Tammy. <laughs> to go with my audiobook. She's going to buy this audiobook and you get a free t-shirt from Agabi. Um, okay, here they are. Uh, change the channel. My mother, oh, and that's all in, in the book. That's why I want, I want to inspire our listeners to um, listen to, to this book because it's filled with gems. And uh, when I was uh, recording it, I felt so much uh, sweetness uh, remembering all these stories. Uh, like she used to say to us, um, change the channel. Like when I was disappointed one time, a big production of uh, a movie I was producing fell through. I was so upset and I was so disappointed. And my mother finally said to me, darling, change the channel. You've been running there, uh, moping, uh, woe is me. Uh, poor little me, uh, nothing goes right for my life all too long. Change the channel. You have the remote, turn it to something else. She said, turn it to gratitude, turn it to joy, turn it to sharing, turn it to uh, starting something new. And she just uh, had this expression when, I mean, we loved it. We went around going, you know, change the channel. So that was one thing. The other thing that she lo I loved is when we didn't know what to do about something, say, Mommy, I don't know what I should do about this. She would say, uh, darling, let it marinate. Let it marinate overnight. You know, it's like, don't pressure yourself to decide about something. And her favorite one is, um, don't miss the moment. And like, if you were here with her and, uh, you would start talking to her and then suddenly you would be distracted because the phone rang or because someone else came in and demanded your attention or you were there but you were not there. She would say, darling, don't miss the moment. You're missing the moment. And it was a lot about the multitasking in our culture that she abhorred. 
And uh, when she died, we put a, a sign in, in, a, in a beautiful bench by an olive tree that we planted. Actually, it was a lemon tree we planted in the garden. And it said, don't miss the moment. Because, you know, most of us don't live in the moment. I mean, we live in our heads. We live in the future. When there is no future, we live in the past. We live in what can be. We live in what should have been. We live in everything else but the moment. And part of the reason why I love speaking, you know, Tommy, and performing, I started as an actress, is because when you're speaking or when you are performing, you are in the moment. I mean, you can't be anywhere else. And it's a high. And, and if we can summon up and be in the moment. Uh, and, and that was part of uh, what I call, call she had time affluence, my mother. She never, she never rushed. She was never in a, if she were rushing, she would say, darling, go without me. You're in a rush. And uh, she had this rhythm of eternity. You know, she really uh, lived in her own rhythm. I mean, you know, just, she was definitely an original, but don't miss the moment. It's uh, it's where the, the, the preciousness of life. And I think partly we don't like living in the moment because sometimes the moment is uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to deal with feelings that are uncomfortable. Um, there's this great quote that I actually, it's from Ariana's book in Thrive. And the quote says, um, most of man's um, suffering and no, most of man's problems derive from the fact that man is unable to be in a room quiet, alone with his own thoughts and still. And I, you know, I know you believe in meditation and mindfulness and practice that. And that's so true. We have such a hard time being alone by ourselves. Uh, with our thoughts, with our beingness, right? Unless we're sitting by the Mediterranean Sea and then it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. What I'm reflecting on as you're talking about your mom is this question, I think, of sometimes after one of our parents dies, there's Die, this yes. sense of we are carrying on, if you will, potentially something unfinished in their life, or some sense of the baton has now been passed to us from yes, the... And, yes. and I'm curious for you, with your mother's death, what that sense might be of what has been asked of you as her daughter. Well, that's, that's an amazing question, Matami. I'm so grateful that you are uh, uh, sharing that with me, uh, that you're asking me this, because... Um, I feel, um, for me, um, they're, they're twofold. One is that as wonderful as my mother was um, in terms of her givingness and her sacrifice to give to us and to give to the world, she... It's a it's a paradox, and it's, I didn't I don't write about this in the book as as much because I I told the other stories of my mother that she was also um, kind of a deeply unhappy as a woman because she loved my father who betrayed her, and so 
there was a part of her that that um, lived through giving. You know, her giving was her. her she wasn't somebody who, let's say, um, would go spend out money on herself or um, um, give pleasure to herself because she had a harder time giving to herself, you know, uh, than others. Uh, and so she was a complete and utter caretaker. So I have had to watch that pattern in myself because I uh, sometimes am much more comfortable in giving to others. And when it came to really give to myself, uh, whether it was something that, you know, makes me happy or gives me pleasure for the sake of pleasure, uh, I, I would have a harder time. Do you, do you relate to that, you know? Yeah, I think you're talking about the receiving aspect of unbinding the heart. I think it's a very important part to talk about, yeah. Exactly, the receiving aspect of, of what it is to... And and it's kind of, and often we don't know what it is like to give to yourself because how do you give to yourself? How do you really nurture yourself? And um, because there are so many aspects to ourselves, you know, there is the child in us, and there is the the woman in us, and there is there is the friend, and there is the vulnerable side, and there is the side that um, insecure, that feels insecure in our lives and in ourselves and uh, not not good enough, not enough. Uh, I mean, all those aspects that, that we deal with. So to love yourself in your absolute vulnerability and to give to yourself is huge. It's humongous. It's like when you get there, you feel you want to explode with joy. So I've had to really... I had to, I had to really... I mean, I had to finish the self-care that my mother didn't do for herself to start to do for Agape. And it was almost like that was the other one I could do because I carried on her legacy by taking care of people and being a nurturing to other people. But when I started to allow myself to give to me and to receive from others and to take in uh, what the, what life was giving me, what people were giving me, what uh, the compliments, the goodness, the gifts of other people, meaning of their, of their energy, of the, when people said to me, I love you, I had to really go, you know, they really love you. They really love you. They don't, like, don't just say, well, yes, they love me, but they don't. Because when people say, I love you, they love you. And I had to really also respect myself and say, I don't want to do that now. I don't want to be with this person now. This is too much for me. I'm feeling depleted here. Get me out of there. Um, don't eat this, eat that. Um, go go work out now. Go exercise now. I don't want to exercise. I want to go for fresh air. Go for fresh air. I, I want a better pillow. You know, I mean, <laughs> endless things. I want better shoes. Um, you know, take care of my feet, take care of my hair, take care of my the little things in life, the big things in life. Um, when I started ask for what I want, um, respect my needs, 
and start to give up to myself and and respect my needs, I I started to change. I started to feel calm. And I think part of the anxiety we feel is we don't really listen to ourselves. We don't listen to what we really have to say. And that's part of the unbinding. Because when you listen with your whole heart to yourself, you feel humbled, very, very humbled by who you are. And you feel, God, how can I, how can I look after this being that I've been bestowed? Uh, and how can I honor her? And that's a beautiful place to be because then, you know, then, then we don't run to so many others to make us feel good about ourselves because you have you. And ultimately, you know, Tommy, just to get, you know, a little more metaphysical here, we're all going to die. And they'll come at him, but we are going to be dying. And the day that we're going to be dying, we're going to have us and how we've been with ourselves and how much care and love we brought to ourselves. And that would have created a space of no judgments, of no hesitations, of no holding backs, of just saying to yourself, thank you. Thank you for the life. Thank you for what you are, for what you've been. Thank you for my journey. And off I go. And and then you come, you know, at that moment and be with the spirit. And there will be space for the spirit to to, to, to take you to the next level. And uh, and that's that's the way to look at it's life, then. It's like a preparation uh, for for something that's going to happen, uh, which is our end, you know. And it's not a sad thing. It's and it's and it's not a morbid thing, but it is a reality. And I think, in a way, uh, and I do in the in the book describe, you know, my mother's death was extraordinary because she she knew she was dying. And uh, she fell down and, and she sat there for two hours pretending she wasn't dying so we can all feel calm, and she left. And and I think if if her last words would have been something to me and Ariana would have been, take care of yourself, take good care of yourself. Um, and she did the best she could, but I think... And I thank you for asking this question because up until this moment, I have never really seen what I'm completing uh, that my mother didn't do. And, I, and that my mother didn't do because my mother did not take such good care of herself. When she was diagnosed with a, a staph infection, it's because we knew she had an infection, but she wouldn't treat it. She kept putting... Uh, homeopathic ointments and she needed antibiotics and that infection went into her heart so she had a level of stubbornness and a level of I know it and I you know and not surrendering to taking care of herself and I and I say this to our listeners because 
if I can impart with a message, would be that each person and each person who is listening to us now is as valuable, as, as, as important, your story, your beingness matters as much as anyone else's. And, and start to really, at this moment, just take such good care of yourself that is with, with a gusto, with, with, a, with a passion, where you just love yourself so deeply to honor yourself, find out who you are, uh, connect with you, and do the little things. You know, uh, however you do your coffee in the morning from the time you turn off your lights and go to bed at night, just make each day be walk with yourself. And then you find God and you find spirit and you find people and you find what matters in life. Because your beingness has the blueprint. It's going to tell you. Um, and listen to my book because <laughs> it's a sweet story and it opens up hearts, Tammy. I'm very proud of my book, if I may say so myself. It's a beautiful book and it's a beautiful reading of the book, Unbinding the Heart, a dose of Greek wisdom, generosity, and unconditional love by Agapi Stasinopoulos, now available as a book on tape from Sounds True. Agapi, I'm so happy to have had this conversation with you. It's laced with so much sage advice. Thank you so much. Oh, and did we tell them, Tommy, that agape means unconditional love in Greek? We didn't tell them that, but I think that's a good that's point to very make. Very important. Yes, agape is the Greek word for love. And that's um, how the book starts. Why my mother named me that, you know, and it's a beautiful name to carry on. So it is with my love that I share this um, message with my wonderful listeners of Sounds True and uh, with blessings to you, dear Simon, Tammy, for the goodness that you bring to this world uh, on every level. So it is with my love that I I share and I pass on and I send you a wave of uh, love and heart and light to follow you wherever you go. Thank you, Agapi. Thank you so much. Soundstreet.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.